we present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvig. Hello and welcome to the news quiz. We start with a cutting from the Southern Daily Echo, read by Diana Speed. A notorious Hampshire dogging spot has been shut down by the County Council. The news has been welcomed by the area's only residents who own the Muse Cattery. <laughs> And our thanks to David Hunter for sending that in. Now, let's meet the teams. Willie, welcome first. On my right, Francis Ween and Rebecca Front. And opposite them on my left, podcaster Helen Zaltzman and Jeremy Hardy. Uh, Francis, whose laws enjoyed their crowning moment? Queen's Speech. Mm. I took the morning off and watched it on telly. It's glorious. Fantastic entertainment. It's far better than Britain's Got Talent, which is all the world's Because you've got all these novelty acts, and then you have Michael Gove. We talk about high camp. Nothing on BGT to match that. Michael Gove dressed up as a pearly king for some reason. <laughs> and, um, and carrying an enormous purse, which yes. had the Queen's Speech in it. I think it's called the Purse of Gove or something, or the Purse of Scone. Because <laughs> uh, they all have, they're all called the Sword of State or the... Silver Stick. Sort of. Silver Stick in waiting, sure you weren't watching Game of Thrones? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> And the cap of maintenance, that's something yes. Ian Duncan Smith was going to try out, I think, as well. <laughs> the, the, um, and the Queen, she gave a speech with a sort of wonderful slight hint of distaste that having been forced <laughs> to read out these things, saying, we're going to have elected metro mayors to build a northern powerhouse. <laughs> and it's, it's always a bit hard with her vows to tell. I think she was saying powerhouse rather than poorhouse, but... Um, <laughs> She did it once. She was talking about the rail economy at one point. I actually thought it was trains, and then I realised it was rail as opposed to unrail. Um, <laughs> and she, the only bit in the speech that she really meant or really seemed to enjoy was when right at the end, Prince Philip and I are looking forward to our state visit to Germany next month. And you really felt her heart was in that. Uh, but she must have relatives over there, surely. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yes, oh, and she, so there's a triple lock tax law or something they're going to do to... Stop Cameron raising taxes because he says he yes, can't. he's made a law to stop himself he's got making to ban laws. himself doing yeah. things that he's promised not to do. In case he forgets, one night thinks, I'm going to raise taxes. No, wait a minute, I can't. <laughs> At the end, when Queen of Prince Philip's going past, he says, Oh, and Prince Philip's stopping to share a joke with Michael Gove. Um, <laughs> it might be about his purse. <laughs> Michael Gove looked like the sort of the child in the nativity play who hasn't been given any lines, is deep with disappointment, so his parents have given him rather outstanding costume. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is like that, because then they went back to the Commons and all these SNP MPs were sort of giggling and taking selfies and clapping just to annoy the speaker. I love them. And they were the children on the back of the bus on the school trip. <laughs> I didn't watch it. If she's not prepared to learn it, you know... <laughs> I mean, I know it's a lot to learn, but she could at least, you know, give it a once-over so she can kind of get on top of the script. But you just feel like, you know, she's, there's not, she's invested nothing in it. <laughs> Did you watch it, Helen? I didn't. I meant to catch the highlights afterwards. But um, <laughs> if I'd been... the voting show. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'd been uh, Prince Andrew, I would have been quite alarmed at all this talk of uh, not supporting people who just sit at home doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> The bit I liked was that the speech was described as the One Nation speech, didn't it? Yet it outlined more plans for devolution. And um, <laughs> but it's going to be, we're going to be like, the country's going to be like one of those couples, you know, those couples that make those sickening public displays of affection and then go home and have separate bedrooms. It's going to be like that. <laughs> uh, a programme of new laws have been unveiled at the state opening of Parliament in the first 
all Conservative Queen's speech for nearly two decades. The Queen made her ceremonial speech on Tuesday in one of the rare opportunities we have to observe MPs acting like adults and sitting quietly while somebody else speaks. <laughs> uh, members of the Commons and Lords gathered in the Palace of Westminster to watch a woman in a diamond hat telling everyone they have to tighten their belts. <laughs> a second-hand diamond hat, bow. That's fair, actually, it is. <laughs> uh, David Cameron said the package of bills was a programme for working people as opposed to a programme for non-working people, which is the Jeremy Kyle show. <laughs> the speech promised to replace PCCs with metro mayors, and metro mayors like a normal mayor, but it's free and concentrates mostly on celebrity gossip. <laughs> stuff taken off yesterday's internet. Uh, the Snoopers Charter was unveiled, which will enable the tracking of web and social media use so we can finally get to the bottom of why all those cats have taken up the piano. <laughs> the speech also introduced a blanket ban on legal highs, which means you can still use them, uh, but you will be very cold. <laughs> Take your time, darlings. <laughs> Five weeks before I'm off, so you're all right. Uh, two points to the delight that is Francis Ween. Uh, Rebecca, who got 14 red cards in what they thought was a Swiss friendly? <laughs> yes, who'd have thought this story would it's come up today? Who knew? Well, yesterday morning, 14 members of... Or the uh, day before, if you're listening. Oh, yeah. on. <laughs> This Some week. time ago. Yes. Um, Wednesday. Yes. What if it's on Wednesday. the news quiz pick of the year in December? Oh, God. Yeah, long, once long upon ago. A time, should we go <laughs> in a galaxy so far away? It happened once um, that 14 members of FIFA High Command, I imagine is what they called, um, <laughs> were staying in this luxury hotel in Zurich and they got a knock on the door and it was the FBI who were calling them to account. And it turns out that for some time now, FIFA High Command, as we shall call them, have been behaving in a manner which I think members of the Fast Show team would describe as a little bit were and a little bit away. Um, <laughs> that's, and, and apparently, they have, according to the FBI, been involved with rampant, systemic and deep-rooted corruption going wow. back 24 years. Good and job the FBI haven't rushed this, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Sepp Blatter was not arrested, and he knew nothing about it. <laughs> 24 years of rampant corruption. He knew nothing about it, which seems to me reason enough for him to go. But, of course, by the time this programme goes out, he'll almost certainly have been re-elected, won't he? Because I, don't, because I don't care, I haven't really read this story properly, but what were the bribes for? Uh, to make sure that certain matches were played in certain countries without naming any names, but places where it's impossibly hot and yet people are going to go and play football there. Right. <laughs> Can I but just say, also... you don't get this trouble with the Netball Super League. Can I just say... <laughs> But it's a, uh, the accusations, if they're true, it's an incredibly broad sweep of corruption, isn't it? Because it's mm. not just... Because there's the Swiss investigation, which, which is looking into the possible World Cup queries. Uh, but then the FBI one covers all sorts of merchandising deals. And, mm. and it really is kind of, you know, it's used notes in plain envelopes being given to people, people queuing up outside hotel rooms in, in sort of Central African countries. And then somebody opens the door and gives them 50,000 quid or something. And then part, it's just all so weird. And, and the cast of characters, there's... 
all these people like um, Chuck Blazer. Yeah, mm. he's great. Chuck Blazer. He's fabulous. He yes. made so much money out of being corrupt that he had two apartments in the Trump building, one for his cats, and then he <laughs> gave himself up to the police and said, look, I'll cop a plea. But they said me. Chuck had eaten so much uh, oh, yes. for free that he can no longer walk, and <laughs> FIFA has bought him a mobility scooter so he can get from feast to feast, which I... <laughs> <laughs> I have an easy solution for all the FIFA corruption, which is to put Delia Smith in charge of it. Because <laughs> everyone mocked when she stepped up for Norwich City, but there's not going to be any funny business with her in charge, is there? No, that's a very And good the job, food wouldn't it? be that appetising either. No, exactly, so you'd have a <laughs> mind-on job. I mean, if they said to her, hey, Delia, do you fancy doing some financial mismanagement this afternoon? She'd be like, well, had a three-egg omelette this morning, so that's enough riotous behaviour for me. <laughs> That's a wonderful idea. Anyway, anybody than Sepp Blatter? It sounds like a German with a urinary tract problem, doesn't it? I, <laughs> it's not that, I mean, Jack Warner is involved as well. Yes, uh, I thought he was uh, a good Dixon man. Dixon Green, yes, he, uh, he's now um, uh, given himself up, I think. To, uh, he said there was nothing worse than a bent copper. I can't believe he's let us I down. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a football fan. I say replace every televised match with extended editions of Watercolour Challenge. <laughs> Watercolour Challenge also sounds like a urinary infection. <laughs> this week, Swiss police arrested seven top FIFA executives on charges of corruption and bribery in connection with the decisions to award the World Cup tournament to Russia in 2018 and Qatar in 2022. The Swiss authorities were acting in conjunction with the FBI, who have been investigating FIFA for three years but still haven't worked out the offside rule. <laughs> None of the officials arrested were English, but then it's been decades since England was a major player in international football. <laughs> and Scotland didn't even qualify for the international corruption. Uh, US authorities started to suspect there may be something amiss at FIFA after an informal kickabout at a FIFA picnic saw them using Armani jumpers for goalposts and at half time serving Fabergé oranges on a tray of Nazi gold. <laughs> true story. Oh, it's a true story. Add two points to Rebecca. Helen, who no longer wants a piece of the action? I think it is Tony Blair, uh, because he's just announced that he is stepping down as the Middle East peace envoy next month. <laughs> Don't cheer. What are we going to do now? <laughs> it's always a fresh surprise, isn't it, even after eight years of him having that job? What, that he had it at all? <laughs> yeah. I'd say... Waging peace is not one of the top ten things he's known for waging in the Middle East. Uh, but worryingly, Tony Blair, once he has uh, fulfilled his outstanding commitments, whatever they are, will remain active in an informal role, such as freelance warlord. <laughs> but he hasn't really said why he's stepping down, uh, presumably because the Middle East is fixed. Yeah. And uh, I, I just thought he's 62, so maybe he wants to do some of his other jobs. He's got a lot of jobs, including public speaking. I think he makes a quarter of a million quid for a 90-minute speech, one of the highest-paid speakers in the world. So wow. Maybe he'll do stand-up. <laughs> but they do say that um, he's going to step back gradually, although I think he claims it can be done in 45 minutes. But um... He got the push, didn't he? He got the push off Kerry, I think, because yeah. there's this thing called the Quartet, which is America, the UN, the EU on violin and Russia on cello. And what happened was, in 2007, when he resigned as Prime Minister, basically Bush wanted to throw him a bone. And so 
Bush famously said, that guy sacrificed his career for me, which isn't quite true. I did sacrifice integrity, decency and a great amount of human life. <laughs> but Bush thought it would be nice to give him a present that would remind him of his involvement in the region, I suppose. <laughs> so he said to the quartet, can't we find a job for him? And with, with mordant black humour, they asked him to be the peace envoy. And he said, oh, well, I was going to set up this faith foundation, but I suppose I could just advise God on a part-time basis. <laughs> I've got these business interests. I mean, God is from the Middle East, and I suppose there's quite a lot of business to be done there. So I suppose I could combine things. As long as the whole peace thing didn't get in the way, I could just kind of mention it in passing. Maybe he could uh, work for FIFA now. He's free. <laughs> Well, Henry Kissinger's still alive. Couldn't yes. he be brought out of retirement? That was one of the most extraordinary things, wasn't it, when he got the Nobel Peace He's got Prize? Nobel. Well, that was when Tom Lehrer said that satire died, but that was because he didn't yet know that Tony Blair was going to be made Middle East Peace Envoy. This was one of the most ridiculous things. It'd be like appointing, I don't know, an anti-abortion health secretary or a justice minister that believes in bringing back hanging. Thank goodness... <laughs> thank goodness things have moved on. <laughs> Uh, former British Prime Minister Tony Blair has written to the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon to confirm his resignation from the job of Middle East Peace Envoy, a role he undertook in 2007. Tony Blair was a controversial appointment to the role, but was far more suitable than the other two candidates considered, George W. Bush and a car bomb. <laughs> Unfortunately, during his tenure as Middle East Peace Envoy, Blair was unable to fulfil his most useful duty for the region, that being travelling back in time to 2003 and locking his younger self in a cupboard. <laughs> uh, since leaving office, Blair has received millions of pounds from a mixture of business interests that include advising Arab governments and consultancy work for investors J.P. Morgan. He was said to be disappointed with his role in the Middle East after finding out the West Bank was not an actual bank. <laughs> We can't thank Tony Blair enough for all he has done for the region and the help he has given us throughout the years, said a member of ISIS. <laughs> Two points to Helen. Jeremy, who stabbed his brother in the front this week? Yeah, David. David, from the... Where he, he, he now... He's no longer involved in British politics, so he, he should just shut up, really. He now works for International Rescue on Tracy Island. <laughs> Yeah, he basically said that he was in the back room and when Labour won elections. But the thing is, I don't know that Labour really won all those elections. The Tories spectacularly lost them, didn't they? I mean, they were in complete meltdown by 1997 at each other's throats. And so the Tories just kept on losing elections until they finally managed to sort themselves out. Because what happened was the Tories were virtually wiped out in 1997. And then, of course, uh, somebody started to breed them. Um, uh, in captivity in Wales and uh, some mad scientist in the valleys was breeding them and, and they escaped and mated with mink who'd escaped from fur farms to create a new breed of cuddly Tory with a nasty bite. And so that's where your big society Tories were able to sort of win back power. But Mil uh, David Miliband, from the safety of Amerishka, where he's making vast quantities of money, he says it's all his brother's fault and that if only he'd been leader, they'd have, they'd have won this election. And he'd have made sure, because anyone who didn't vote Tory would have been bundled into the back of a transport plane and flown to a CIA black site in a former Warsaw-packed country for rendering. <laughs> so he's, um, yeah, he's all fulminating with rage about what Labour needs to do now. But uh, who, do you think is going to lead, who do you think is going to lead the Labour Party? Do you have any idea? Um, well, I don't know. Henry Kissinger, I, mean, I, I don't think know. The... I got an email asking if I wanted to be the leader of the Labour Party, and <laughs> I said, I, I, no, I said I wasn't ready to give up politics, so... Um... <laughs>
they, they do actually have a leader already. This is what people seem to keep forgetting. Harriet Harman is the leader of the Labour yes. Party. She was their first woman leader, I think, probably. Well, no, second woman. Well, Margaret Beckett, Margaret Beckett uh, was first. They've had a succession of women leaders, but they're never allowed to keep it for more than a few weeks. Then they have to make way for men who know how to do this sort of yes. thing, like Gordon <laughs> Brown and Ed Miliband. Proven winners. Um, <laughs> they should just rotate it, because the Tories did that in their years out of power. I mean, almost every Tory MP who's alive now has been leader of the party at some time. I think they're going to approach David and Ed's younger brother, Zeppo. <laughs> they should get the mother. She'd be good. She must be used to breaking up a lot of fights by this point. Imagine what Christmas is like at their house now. It's bad enough my brothers and I argue about the best way to roast potatoes at Christmas, and that gets pretty bloody. Since their mother's a Marxist Jew, I think Christmas is probably a little bit bleak in there. <laughs> Just like in everyone's house. <laughs> Actually, it must be a nightmare having a Marxist Jewish mother. How much guilt can a boy take? <laughs> how are you doing, Mum? Disappointed is how I'm doing. And I speak more as a comrade than a mother. Uh, David Miliband, the former Foreign Secretary, tainted by allegations of involvement in extraordinary rendition. <laughs> it's my last series. The lawyers have cleared it. Um, <laughs> has attacked his brother Ed for losing the election, not physically, but in the most painful way possible in a speech at Harvard School of Government. His speech fuels speculation that he could make a dramatic return to British politics or return to the Labour Party. <laughs> Speaking of his brother's election defeat, David Miliband reminded everybody that when he was in Labour, the party would win, to which he added several minutes of nah, 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 nah. <laughs> uh, David Miliband highlighted the many horrific human costs of the war in Syria, but didn't mention the worst consequence so far, refugees on the Greek island of Kos, making British tourists feel a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, luckily, the Daily Mail was on hand to tell the sad story of holidaying Brits having to see homeless, traumatised children in public. And if you've been affected by this issue, there's a helpline you can call on 0800, for God's sake, what is wrong with you, you compassionless ass. <laughs> and the end of round one. The scores are Francis and Rebecca have got four points, but so too have Helen and Jeremy. We start round two with a headline from The Independent. Heart failure patients with depression are five times more likely to die and require counselling. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who sent us that. Francis, who is saying au revoir to their wasteful ways? The French have yeah. banned supermarkets from throwing away food that's near its sell-by date. Because apparently until now, and I think some British shops do this, when the food was getting a bit near the end, they would throw it in bins and then tip bleach over it so that any passing hungry person who took out a sandwich would get poisoned. Which doesn't seem terribly nice. They now have to, by law, give their old stuff to charities or food banks. And um, there's a petition up over here to do the same thing. I think it's got 100,000 signatures. So Brilliant. we may have to... And it's all charming story, except that this guy is also taking it to the United Nations through Bono. Oh. <laughs> What, this, this is food that's passed through Bono. Yes. <laughs> For tax reasons. <laughs> One of Bono's pressure groups, I think, called One, he wants to take it to the UN. I think you get a free U2 album in every sandwich. <laughs> it's the like sandwich it of the not. month on train buffets in the days of British Rail. Okay. It didn't quite last a month, actually. It was, getting a bit, <laughs> it was getting a bit green and curly by the end of the month, but it was all right, as long as you forced it down quickly and drank a lot of water. I was just thinking, if you poured bleach onto French food, you get toilet duck à l'orange. 
judging from French uh, cheese, I think their idea of decomposition is fairly elastic, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> They've always been good with food waste, haven't they? Because they recycle those onions into those charming necklaces. Which are... <laughs> but the thing is, you can smell if things are off, can't you? Oh, darling, I once got collected. Do you know when you go and... Um, the, you must do this, Francis. You go to a very nice literary festival in some country towns. So mm. People are delightful. And one picked me up in a very old, battered car. And there's a sort of slightly strange smell in the car. And I said, oh, it's a... She said, yes. It's a badger. And I said, oh, right. And it was dead in the back of the car. And she eats roadkill. And she'd been thrilled to scrape this badger <laughs> up just before she collected me. <laughs> My mum's friend picked up a dead badger from a verge. And uh, she kept it in the freezer. And she used to bring it out for children's parties and put it in a high chair. <laughs> Obviously. Seriously, <laughs> I hate children's parties. What a fantastic way <laughs> clear to the clear the room. Fantastic. Did you put it back before it defrosted? I think it was slowly thawing. You know how ice cream gets a bit lumpy after a while, it being defrosted and refrozen? I think after a few years, by the time the children had hit puberty, the badger wasn't looking so good either. <laughs> <laughs> Twist of putting it in a high chair. It's like an umpire. <laughs> French supermarkets will be banned from throwing away unsold food under new laws to crack down on waste. People scavenging for food is a problem in France, since whenever anybody steals a loaf of bread, we're all subjected to a musical that goes on for decades. <laughs> Some supermarkets doused food in bleach to prevent food poisoning, which seems odd, as nothing will give you a dicky tummy like Boeuf Bourguignon washed down with a Dettol chaser. <laughs> Over 100 million tonnes of food is wasted every year in the EU, although half of that is UKIP MEPs sending back all that foreign muck. <laughs> Rebecca, why might camera and action show you in a better light? Uh, oh, this is a justice story from okay. America, I believe. Um, in America, you have the right, just before sentencing or at an appeal hearing, to say what value you have in the wider community. So, therefore, you know, I shouldn't be sent to jail because I'm my mother's carer or, you know, something like that. And what's now happening is that there's a new trend for people to make videos about um, how great they are in society. And there is a company that's been set up to make these professionally made videos, um, which are then presented to the court. Um, and I, I quite like the idea. I mean, I slightly worry that if, um, you know, if you don't see one of these videos, you might assume that that's because absolutely nobody on earth has a single good thing to say about you. So I, I, I can sort of see that this could become, you know, competitive uh, social niceness. They're actually worried, aren't they, that people who don't have the money won't have such good videos, mm. and then rich people will get off everything because they'll get Martin Scorsese in and things like that. <laughs> and uh, that the poor people who haven't, can't afford a proper camera crew, it'll just be done on someone's phone, which was stolen anyway, and it'll be... <laughs> Making films to avoid a prison sentence, that's surely just Roman Polanski's career, isn't it? It's, uh... <laughs> Actually, it doesn't always work. I sent a tape into the producers of the News Quiz and I got nine years, so... <laughs> I can't imagine how they would go down if uh, British people had to make them, because we're not naturally self-aggrandising or anything except for self-deprecating. So even if we'd done nothing wrong, we would probably automatically go to prison for looking a bit shifty and not proud enough of ourselves. <laughs> And our judges would say, what is a video recording? <laughs> Defend the defendant seems to be a tiny man who lives in a box. 
Uh, American defendants are using specially made films about themselves to show to judges in a bid to get a lower sentence. In specially made movies, some costing up to $3,000 each, criminals attempt to present themselves in the best light to be looked on favourably by the judge. The films may use music and effects to show how a defendant is supporting a family, working hard in the community, or particularly adept at fighting robot dinosaurs in space. <laughs> uh, in one case, an inmate who served 18 years of a life term for possession of a weapon made a film of himself with his 27-year-old daughter to try and secure early release. After viewing the video, the judge said that he would not be challenging his early release before adding, but the plot did drag, the end was too sentimental, two stars. <laughs> <laughs> two points to Rebecca. Helen, why is being sent down online on the up? Well, uh, exciting news if you're a fan of uh, statistics. Official figures have shown that between 2004 and 2014, the number of people being convicted of online trolling has increased tenfold, yes. up to five a day. Yeah, but think about the internet in 2004. There wasn't any YouTube for a start, <laughs> which is where most trolling takes place. There wasn't any Twitter. There were about four pages of internet and they're all just encyclopedia pages that you couldn't really comment on. There are probably more convictions of actual under-the-bridge trolls than online trolls back then. <laughs> and uh, maybe this will see a dip in uh, the number of people making nuisance phone calls, do you think? The fact that you can do online trolling means you don't have to leave through the phone book looking for someone with a funny name and calling them up and sniggering. But they were fun. I like old-fashioned. Poison pen that is written in a proper fountain pen. Yeah, threats sent by a carrier pigeon, that kind of thing. You can't go wrong with the old-fashioned threats. When my landline rings now, it makes me jump because, uh, because nobody ever uses it. And uh, when the days when we just had a landline, I picked up the phone, I went, hello, the person said, you're supposed to be a fax. <laughs> Just, it's direct access, isn't it? And it's access on an unprecedented scale. And then what always amuses me with, you know, when, when people get caught out for trolling and then you, you sort of follow a, a thread on Twitter and somebody says, somebody's been trolling me and you start looking through it because you've got nothing better to do like me. Um, and you find these hideously abusive, violent messages. And then there's always somewhere in that thread, there's always some tweet where somebody has said, oh, I'm only exercising my right to free speech. I thought we had freedom of speech in this country. Not anymore. They always say, they don't necessarily say it in that slightly patronising mm. accent. <laughs> but, but they do nonetheless always say it at some point. And you said, as, as if, you know, in the grand old days, it was perfectly legitimate to post somebody's address online and encourage your friends to go around and rape her. You know, but <laughs> nanny state gone mad. They're not even allowed to do that anymore. It's this of but, outrage, but you're right, it's very easy now because I mean, before the internet, you had to find somebody's address, you had to buy a paper bag, a lighter, you know, <laughs> poo in it. Trolling used to be a nice word, didn't it? You used to hear old, old theatricals, uh, trolling meant going for a little stroll down the towpath, and who should I bump into but my nephew, who's a cabin boy in the Moroccan Navy. <laughs> Um, who was it? Stella Creasy who got bombarded with the Jane Austen. She wanted the. She was part of that campaign to yeah. get uh, Jane Austen. And the troll said there was no place for a woman on British banknotes. It's worth pointing out there are already two British women. <laughs> it's pretty sure the Queen is on every single. <laughs> I'm not saying trolls are idiotic. Oh no, wait, I am. That is exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, conviction rates for those who abuse people online, commonly known as trolls, have increased eightfold in a decade, according to official figures. Online abuse is often attracted by those eliciting certain behaviours, such as being in the public eye, being outspoken, or owning a womb. <laughs> Past victims of trolls include MP Stella Creasy, campaigner Caroline Criado Perez, and three billy goats who just wanted to get across a river. <laughs> 
The changes came in the wake of a case in which Paul Chambers was found guilty in May 2010 after joking on Twitter about blowing up Robin Hood Airport. Although the case was later overturned, it's a good lesson that if you want to talk about the destruction of the British transport system, it's probably best to be a member of the government first. <laughs> Two points to Helen. Jeremy, who's after your dollars for cents? Uh, a, a young French inventor has invented a sort of smelly alarm clock and it wakes you up in a very pleasant way by stimulating your olfactory glands in your nose, basically. It smells of stuff and so you wake up slowly. You can choose your fragrances to put in this thing and one of them is the smell of US dollars. But then that would be a terrible awakening because you'd just be coming out of a dream and you start in smelling this smell saying, I'm rich, I'm rich, I tell you, ha, ha, ha. rich beyond your... Oh. <laughs> it's just the alarm clock and now I've got to go to... I am routinely woken up by smells, to be honest. But, um... <laughs> as you get older, those smells, I find, get more and more specific. <laughs> Especially with a chicken dinner. It's like the whole meal replayed in, <laughs> in aroma form. I find myself waking up saying, blimey, you're a bit heavy-handed with the tarragon last night. <laughs> Do you know, there are days when I wake up and I think, should I have gone the heterosexual path? And then I think, no. <laughs> Denmark, we have a very different system for waking up. What they do is they get a famous actor, which is, you know, every other person in Denmark, um, <laughs> comes round to your house and throws Lego at your window. I don't think you should set your alarm, though, because if you're not awake, it means you need more sleep. This is, this is you know, David Cameron saying people should set their alarm. No, you shouldn't. You should, there's no point. Half asleep people being at work, you should get up when you wake up and then do whatever it is you've got to do. And people should just have to wait for you. <laughs> smells is this alarm clock programmed with? Uh, well, there are all sorts of uh, things. They're released by uh, capsules. They include continental breakfast, invigorating aromatherapy, and British Seaside, which is a subtle blend of chips and failed UKIP politicians. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd be woken up by nice smells. If it was the smell of my flat burning down, then I might get out of bed. <laughs> yes, that would do it, wouldn't it? The smell of uh, burning. No, but I think it's too late for me now. It's four flights of stairs down. Goodbye forever. The smell of we would be good because you'd go, oh, not again. Oh, it's all right. It's, all right. <laughs> it's not a smell that, well, that gets me out of bed. It, the radio's the other side of the room, and I hear them say, and now thought for the day, and I'm up and over. <laughs> Today programme's brilliant if you want to go back to sleep. You just put it on, and you just, just except you have slightly weird dreams with John Humphreys shouting at you. <laughs> A French teenager has launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund production of his alarm clock, which wakes you up with an aroma of your choice. The sensor wake alarm clock was designed by 18-year-old Frenchman Guillaume Roland, who said, Écoutez le son de mon réveil matin chaque jour était tellement horrible. Je me suis de qui ici dans le 21e siècle. Il doit exister quelque chose que je pourrais faire pour changer la situation. I have no idea what he said. <laughs> Still even, Francis and Rebecca have got eight points, but so too have Helen and Jeremy. <laughs> we start round three with a cutting from the Telegraph Travel website. Hell Bay on Briar, Isles of Scilly, is a luxury four-star hotel comprising a collection of New England-style cottages and clapboard chalets. Perfect for silly bird watchers. <laughs> 
and our thanks to Anna Pearson for sending us that. Francis, why might you know more about Big Brother than you do about your little sister? Oh, it's a survey, which means it's not true. It's, um, well, it, it is quite irritating, because these surveys. Um, this one was in the Daily Telegraph, and it said, uh, British people know more about celebrities' families than they know about their own families. And then you read down, and it's a survey, a poll commissioned by a chain of restaurants, carveries, to promote their thing. The idea is that uh, people should get in touch with their families by coming to our restaurants, but the course of it, they have to commission this poll to get themselves some free advertising. And if you look at the figures, it says that um, almost 60% of British people don't know where one of their grandparents was born, whereas one in ten people know the names of the Kardashian sisters. You think, oh, this is shocking. And they think, oh, that means 40% of people do know where their grandparents were born. Hmm. 10% know the Kardashian sisters, and 40% is more than 10. <laughs> It's complete, I was just twaddled. It's advertising twaddle, statistical twaddle, turned into news twaddle, and that turns up in the Daily Telegraph, obviously. Also, there's a lot more coverage in uh, magazines of what the Kardashians are doing than where my granddad was born. <laughs> anyway, I, was, I, I don't believe this poll because I can't believe only one in ten people know the names of all the Kardashians. I'm not even sure who the Kardashians are. You do know perfectly well. I can tell you everything about it. Can in you? the interests of research for this programme, and not in any way because my daughter and I find this a guilty pleasure that we can share, I watched two hours. <laughs> of the Kardashians the other night. And it, what it did do was it gave me an insight into why these programmes are so popular. And I have this theory that the thing with reality, or this sort of constructed reality like the Kardashians and, and Made in Chelsea and TOWIE and all that stuff, is that, like in soap operas, people say exactly what they mean. Everything is laid bare, in particular in the case of the Kardashians. That's how she got famous in the first place. Um, <laughs> but, so everything is just kind of out there, and they just say it like it is. So in the Kardashians, a typical conversation is like, oh, my God, Courtney, I'm just, like, so mad with you right now because, like, you know, I went to this photo shoot. And, you know, in the end, it's just kind of... Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> but, it's, but the important thing is that the emotions are all out there. But <laughs> that's what they do in this constructed reality world, whereas in real families, especially in British families, everything is like... This sort of bubbling resentment, isn't yeah. it? In <laughs> a normal family gathering over here, it's all sort of, did you put the bins out, darling? Yes, I, well, no, I didn't, but uh, I'll do it now. No, it's fine, it's fine, I'll do that. No, it's fine, it's absolutely fine, it's fine, it's absolutely fine. You're not cross, are you? No, 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 I'm not cross at all. Absolutely I'm just going to bed a little early because I'm tired, it's fine. <laughs> but I can see why people are more interested in celebrities. So last week, right, Johnny Depp, uh, he flew to Australia on his private jet, and just because he had um, his dogs with him, he's threatened with 10 years in jail. So that is quite interesting. Last week, my cousin drove to Kettering and was overcharged for a Twix in a service station. Now... Do <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's not quite got the same frisson about it. I know where my grandparents were born. Betchworth, Hitchin, Portsmouth and Croydon. Well, I'm glad you shared that there with us. There you go. <laughs> I did my family tree. I thought this would be interesting. It bloody wasn't. <laughs> But that would be a wonderful reality TV, wouldn't it? Constructive reality, keeping up with the Hardys. Yes. <laughs> uh, Britons know more about celebrity families than their own, according to a new survey. The study of 2,000 people showed while many could reel off facts about celebrities, they struggled when it came to details about their own family. The problem is many people struggle to retain information about people who aren't in the public eye, said some expert. <laughs> Some of the useless information people retain about those in the public eye included knowing the names of at least ten Big Brother housemates, knowing how many children Katie Price has, and knowing the name of the current leader of the Liberal Democrats. <laughs> 
Around half of those questions could not name their brother or sister's job. I just don't know what my brother does for a living now, said the survey subject, a Mr D Miliband from the United States. <laughs> Two points to Francis. Rebecca, who doesn't want kids to be frightened of pigs? Um, oh, Durham Constabulary um, have released a, a poster, an information poster, with a sort of smiling cop on it. And it says, please don't tell your kids, um, if they misbehave, that the police will put them in jail because it's not good for our image. And because we want children to run to us when they have a problem rather than running away from us because they're afraid of us. Which I thought was quite sweet, actually. Um, so they would prefer <laughs> it if you, if you didn't say to your children you know, next time they're naughty, there's a policeman outside and he's going to put you in jail. And actually, that's also factually incorrect, because I looked into that when my kids wouldn't eat their broccoli. <laughs> it turns out they wouldn't have even got a caution. So. If your child is committing an, an offence, though, it's presumably different. I mean, if, the, if it's armed robbery or something, then the naughty step's not going to do it, is it? <laughs> my children they were going to jail um, I mean, they were far too busy making a roaring success out of my chimney sweeping business so <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know in my day it was Boney we were threatened with Boney? Boney? Boney Park <laughs> oh thank god I thought it was going to where I grew up well I say up um, <laughs> we weren't told to be frightened of the police and we, it was a rat catcher with a recorder who would lure you to a cave that was oh, imagine being trapped in a cave with someone playing the recorder yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, it was put up on Facebook wasn't it, it was, uh, that's where they put yeah. it the poster was put on uh, uh, is that right how have the police got time to run a Facebook account <laughs> suspects are armed I repeat armed sad face <laughs> Uh, Durham Constabulary has produced a poster asking parents to stop telling their naughty children that they will be taken to jail. It's part of a drive to make the force appear more approachable, which is why Durham Police have just bought some SpongeBob SquarePants tasers. <laughs> the poster has been liked over 40,000 times on Facebook and Durham Constabulary have been unfriended by the Metropolitan Police. <laughs> Two points to Helen. Jeremy, have a listen to this. You better smile! Jeremy, why could a grin save you a grand? This is like one of those stories where people say, you couldn't make it up, because it's usually already made up. But in this case, it's true. Oxford City Council have got these things called public space protection orders, and they've said that buskers need to smile. <laughs> Bit rich from the city that produced Tom York. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, basically, it's an edict. And if you don't do it, you can be beheaded in the public square in Riyadh. <laughs> you can opt for the £1,000 fine. But they've said that they won't actually fine them. It's just a sort of like a serving suggestion that they're saying, you know, we won't necessarily hunt you down like a dog and kill you <laughs> if you fail to smile while you're singing Creep by Radiohead. I like the fact that the code also prohibits bagpipes because they're too noisy, as if that was anywhere near the worst thing about <laughs> The main thing, bad thing about bagpipes is that Alistair Campbell plays them. Yes. When you hear them in the distance, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> he is the sort of person that would deliberately learn to play the bagpipes, isn't he? Just for the sheer spite of it. <laughs> uh, when I was at university, I used to busk with a cello. Uh, well, I say cello was a ukulele, but... Um, <laughs> stood next to me, you couldn't really tell the difference. So it was, uh... There's lots of famous musicians have tried busking. Didn't Sting rather famously busk once? And I think he got Ooh. 40 quid before he stopped. I'd have paid twice that, but... Um... 
And uh, George Michael, you often see him on street corners. <laughs> uh, Oxford Council is seeking to obtain a public space protection order which would force buskers performing in the city to smile at all times. Any musician caught breaking the order could be fined up to £1,000 or 100 woolly hats in busker currency. <laughs> I've never heard of the public space and protection order, said one busker, but if you hum a few bars, I'll give it a go. <laughs> Uh, two points to Jeremy. Before we reveal the final scores, has anybody got a cutting that they would like to share? This is from Jennifer Glass, who's a foreign correspondent in Kabul for Al Jazeera. Uh, but it's actually from the website of National Public Radio in America. Clarification. In a previous correction on this post, we corrected something that was actually correct. <laughs> so, so we have corrected that correction. It had to do with Celsius temperatures. <laughs> That's all it says. This one was sent in by Bernie Spencer and it appeared in a paper called The Hales Owen News. Correction. Twig Fields of the newly opened walk-in wardrobe vintage clothes store Cradley Heath was incorrectly quoted in last week's news as describing herself as a kleptomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> this should have read collector-maniac. <laughs> Helen Clark has supplied uh, this from The Independent. A prostitute was arrested for keeping a three-week-old lamb as a pet in a brothel. Prostitution is legal in Germany, but police said conditions listed by veterinary officials for keeping lambs did not include brothels. <laughs> I should try whales. Um, <laughs> this is you can't from... keep a whale in a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> This was sent in by Patricia Stone in County Durham, and it's a leaflet about waste and recycling services, but despite being in County Durham, it needs to be read in a Terry Thomas voice. From spring 2015, there's a charge for garden waste collection. Garden waste in the Teesdale area is collected by rotters. <laughs> Let's take a look at the final score. Helen and Jeremy have got 12 points, but this week's winners are Francis and Rebecca with 13. Here is a cutting from the Bournemouth Echo, sent in by Frank Bays. A bank robbery took place in New Milton, Hampshire, a week ago. The criminal, dressed in a white tracksuit, white trainers, and wrapped bandages around his head and face like a mummy. The police said, this is a serious crime. We're looking for a man described as white. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Taking part in the news quiz were Francis Green, Rebecca Front, Helen Zaltzman and Jeremy Hardy. In the chair was Sandy Toxley, and the news was read by me, Diana Speed. The chair's script was written by Max Davis, Tom Neelan and Simon Littlefield, with additional material by Chris McCausland and Gabby Hutchison-Crouch. The producer was Lindsay Fenner, and it was a BBC Radio comedy production. 